Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. So, are there any other questions that you think that we should tackle? I think. Do you know what? This is your time to talk about. <laughs> it's my time. It's my time. My moment. Hello, welcome to Banging Book Club, the fortnightly podcast where we read books about sex and gender and talk about it. I'm Hannah Witten. I'm Lena Norms. And I am Lucy Moon. And this is the very much anticipated, at least anticipated by us. Yeah. <laughs> and we have no idea if you've been anticipating We've it. been planning this since February. <laughs> Hannah <laughs> has been planning this. <laughs> Since in fact, February. we've been putting like emotional pressure on Lucy to get a boyfriend so we can do it. She <laughs> managed, I managed it! She managed it, but didn't manage to get him on the podcast. No. <laughs> um, so in this episode, we got our boyfriends plus uh, Lucy's surrogate boyfriend to read Man Up and talk about it and their masculinities. We're currently at the pub and the boys are here. Outdoors in We have been at the pub uh, figuring out the 2018 reading list and by the time that you're listening to this, it will be live so you can go and to our Twitter and there'll be a link and you can find out what we're reading next year. Yay! But, ooh, did you hear those fireworks? We're outside in November. (laughs) Shall we just let the boys take it away then? Yeah. Yeah. Take it away, boys. Hello, bangers. Uh, my name is Lucy Moon. This is uh, Lena Norms. And I'm Hannah Whitten. <laughs> Obviously. Oh, we're so funny. Um, we're not, actually. This is um, a, uh, a male takeover, a uh, masculine takeover masculine. of the Banging Book Club, because we are going to be talking about Jake Irwin's uh, Man Up. Isn't it Jack uh, Irwin? Jack Irwin, correct. Of course. It's like... Jake Irwin. Um, my name is Jazza, and I'm uh, Lucy's stand-in pretend boyfriend uh, for the day. Uh, I'm gay, so that's not true. But <laughs> I am Craig, I'm dating Lena, and so I'm taking her place for today. Uh-huh. And I'm Dan, I'm Hannah's boyfriend, and I'll be taking her place today. Yeah. Boom. Uh, so... We, first of all, with a banging book club tradition, we have to give it a sound review. I don't know if you guys have given this very much Do we not do this at the end? No, it's at the very beginning. This is the beginning? It's the beginning, yeah. Um, So we have to give this book a sound review. Uh, Craig, can you... Start Give us, us a little off. bit of a taster, yeah. Oh man, I don't know what kind of thing that they've done before. We might be like repeating some sound reviews from before. But a lot of them are quite moany. Moany, like okay. oh, <laughs> just trying to think. So with me, I was like looking at all my notes from this book. I'm like, uh-huh. oh. <laughs> that's my sound review. Okay. Cool, I like it. Dan, was more like mm. the fury. Oh, dear. Mm. Oh, that sounds like some suppressed masculinity. <laughs> Could have been interpreted another way. Yeah. <laughs> Um, for me, it was kind of like a. Uh... <laughs> well done. You've put Jake. so much more thought into yours than I. I applied. have been practicing that on the train down. <laughs> that, by the way, uh, listeners, was uh, me sighing and slow clapping. Uh, we in this book, um, uh, he kind of concludes at the end his last section. Uh, states that masculinity isn't in crisis, it's just confused. What do you think about that statement? First of all, is there like a masculinity crisis? Um, or is it like something that we can fix relatively easily? 
Oh man, I think that he's grossly oversimplifying that <laughs> by saying that it's just confused. I don't know. Um, it depends on how you look at it. It's just uh, there's obviously a problem, isn't isn't it? And I think what he's trying to do is tr- he's just trying to say like, hey, this is a, this is a fixable kind of thing. <laughs> um, and he's trying, but you know, in terms of I don't know, what do you think? See, I for me, I think it's the speed of change in the last. 50 years mm-hmm. has been quite rapid mm-hmm. certainly more so than previously in history and I think it's just in terms of like the role a, of men yeah exactly and, and I think it's a bit of lag in terms of mm. you know culture catching up to the modern world and I think it's not just masculinity where there's a problem there's a whole wide range of issues where that's mm-hmm. the case so he what I think this book is actually quite good at is identifying the problems within modern western ideas of masculinity mm-hmm. um uh, he's identified kind of like the symptoms which are high suicide rates i believe on un- um, with men under the age of 45 suicide is now the mm-hmm. biggest killer yeah. um uh, we uh, now have a sexist misogynist as the most powerful man in the world mm-hmm. um like there are lots of very clear symptoms but we don't really know how to treat them do you think that jack Irwin has kind of helped us out in trying to figure out anything that we could do to solve the apparent problem that we have yeah situation i think he he hits on some good points um at the end when he he's got a bit of a summary going on hasn't he mm-hmm. where he's like these are the ways in which it's beneficial to dudes and he's basically said like I know that it's not the best thing in the world offering a, a solution to people and being like, look, it benefits you too. And it's, uh-huh. what is it that he says? It's like doing the right thing for the wrong reasons is better than doing nothing at all or something like that. Um, yeah, sure. Something <laughs> like that. Again, again, I mean, I think it does appeal to lots, like it c- could appeal to a lot of people that might not necessarily mm-hmm. have a lot of knowledge around the subject. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a good way of looking at it, of, mm-hmm. of framing it. It's like, okay, this is beneficial to everybody and look you can have better relationships with people you feel mm-hmm. better you probably aren't as susceptible to death <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah dying <laughs> he talks about death an awful lot in this book so he uh he was commissioned to write this after he wrote an article in vice that went yeah. viral which actually is really good it was called um uh, silence is killing british men I never, I um, never uh, something, something, something. It it is actually a really. It's about eight hundred to a thousand words. It's quite it's a small. It's not a whole book. It's yeah. It's not a whole book. Um, and I think that's one of the problems with this book is that he had a really great article and then has kind of um tried to increase the word count of said <laughs> article. And it isn't really possible to turn an article of under a thousand words into mm. a twenty thousand like this is about a two hundred page. So um, is the but, sub- subject matter of the book, is it similar to the article? Is it basically like touches on all the same it's points? It's basically the same. More okay. or less, yeah. yeah. So he has sections in here where he talks about um LGBT issues, mm. um uh, which isn't in the in the article at all. Um, we can talk about that chapter later on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have feelings about it. Um, Dan, what did you think? Do you think that he gives us any uh, effective remedies to the apparent masculinity crisis that we've got? No. <laughs> yeah. But oh, fine. So, uh... but I I think actually the good that it did do was done with the initial article, mm-hmm. which was actually. Beginning that discussion mm-hmm. and getting people talking about it because that article went enormous mm-hmm. and it was shared all over the place. And I mean, um, I mean, I was still in the army at the time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and even in there, like the guys were. Have you, you know, read this? It had a massive impact. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, I on in that kind of vein because I think one of the really great things about his article in two thousand and fourteen was the fact that um, uh, it was incredibly accessible. It kind of used the framing of the death of his father as a kind of entry point into mm. it. Used really yeah. dark but funny humour to talk about this uh, like problem that mm. uh, British men, but also men across the world, have. And it yeah. felt to me really clear who that article was for. Yeah. That was yeah. for the people who end up being affected most negatively by masculinity and those are the people that would probably never use the word masculinity yeah. in their day to day like mm. I'm a I'm a queer academic I use like the concepts of masculinity mm. hourly no. um, uh, but it, th- that article wasn't for me I still thought it was great but this was a great way of a, kind of like a, a splash page into talking about the problems that we have mm. do you mm. think that this book does a similar thing do you think it's accessible enough 
for the audience that needs to hear it. See, I think one of the main problems with the book was more of a case of he... If you're going to expand that article, yeah. ultimately what you need to do is include a lot more research um, and a lot more yeah. in-depth <laughs> analysis. But when you do that, then it becomes an academic book and then you alienate that audience. Yeah. But by not doing that, what he's done is hasn't really expanded a huge amount on the original article, mm-hmm. I think. You're a bit more forgiving than mm. myself and Dan, right? Craig, in this vein? I mean, I liked the book, but I definitely hear what you're saying about, um, I think that this as an issue it needs to be something that's simple and easy and cool and i think that this book kind of feels like it overcomplicates a lot of things or uh-huh. at least oversimplifies things and repeats itself you know it somehow manages to overcomplicate but also oversimplify <laughs> this whole conversation see one thing I, I said to you before we started was i think the thing that makes it confusing is it does jump a lot uh-huh. there's one point i remember specifically where he sort of opens up with the title of we are now going to talk about men's right activists. Mm-hmm. And then after sort of a page of that, changes his mind, talks about <laughs> something else for four pages, but then about three, four chapters later, comes back to it and mm-hmm. does a sort of six-page bit on mm-hmm. male rights activists. Yeah. Now, why were those two bits not together? Yeah, There's a lot of formatting, which I think mm-hmm. could have made it easier to understand. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. um, so, uh, like I said, I uh, like I'm an academic. Like, I study gender things and so I was really frustrated that in a 200 book a 200 page book there are I believe 42 43 citations in the whole thing and then when there are citations like stuff that backs up his argument scientifically Mm. or anecdotally or there's legal cases that he talks about when he does cite these things that have happened um he cites tweets Daily Mail articles, um, uh, summaries of um, things that have happened from The Guardian and stuff. And all things that are basically on the front page of Google when you search for masculinity. Um, And I found that really, really frustrating um, because he is talking about his perception of things. And this is a very um, white, middle class kind of like... Uh, perspective on masculinity. He says at the beginning that he doesn't want it to be, but inevitably it has ended up being so because he hasn't really done a huge amount of research into the demographics that he doesn't tick. There is nothing Mm. about um, uh, masculinity in um, uh, black and Asian communities, um, which I found a bit shocking. He's got a couple of um, interviews with um, uh, LGBT, the LGBT community, which actually I think are some of the best bits of the book, but they're very small parts mm. of it. Um, uh, there's one part, actually, that fucking really, <laughs> it really, really irks me. So he talks about um, trans participation in the army, oh, and okay, he yeah. talks about uh, the fact that uh, it often... It, um, uh, trans people he thinks, he would assume, would be turned off of serving yeah. in the army because of the large, the hyper-masculinity that exists there. And mm. then we can, you can talk to this a little bit later. Um, but he says, oh yeah, I don't think trans people would therefore want to serve their country. And trans people, in the US at least, serve at nearly twice the rate of cisgender people. Really? And it was just like, you've just had a hunch and said something that is wrong. And that, mm. it really fucking annoyed me because you mm. could have just, you could have Googled that. Yeah. I, in fact, Googled it, checked it and found it out in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty shit. Mm. Sure. I think he's tried to adopt this sort of, <clears throat> he's tr- tried too hard to adopt this colloquial tone that he hasn't gotten the balance right. So yeah. everything's just a bit like, oh, I don't know, I don't fucking know. Maybe, maybe this is a, is yeah. like, just throwing some ideas out there. But I, I think that's his way that he's trying to like get through to some people and just be, but you know, again, he's missing facts. Yeah, the style was a deliberate choice. Actually, yeah. he says that at the start. Of, I but, don't mind the but, style. Um, yeah, I, I do agree mm. that it. It's more research could have been done in certain areas. But <laughs> yeah. well, I'm sure we'll cover that as we get on to discussing some of the the points. Yeah, well, I, like one of his chapters is about um, uh, life in the military and seeing as the most military stuff that I've done was like a couple of terms of combined cadet force at school. Um, mm. uh, I feel like you're probably yeah. the best person to speak to this. Now. Yeah, so I, <laughs> yeah, so I should probably give a bit of ground. So I left yeah. the army recently after being in for uh, about six and a bit years um, and, and reading the military section, 
was <laughs> painful in places. <laughs> um, I think it was really good. And I think what you spoke about transgender people in the armed forces, I, I met quite a few transgender people during yeah. my time in the armed forces. Uh-huh. Um, and there also seems to be this assumption about um, the military driving this like hyper-masculinity, which I don't think is necessarily fair. Well, one of the things you have to think about when it comes to the armed forces is the kind of people that tend to join the armed forces. And I think one of the great things about the armed forces is it tends to give people purpose that mm-hmm. maybe are otherwise struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that feeds into why more transgender people mm-hmm. go into there. Maybe, you know, it gives them purpose they were lacking otherwise. And that's what happens with a lot of working class lads as well. A lot of working class lads um, in the armed forces. And I feel that the attitude, the view that the outside of the armed forces has of the armed forces mm-hmm. are very different to what the armed forces are actually like. Mm. So the main thing that annoyed me was how he compared people who go out and commit mass shootings <laughs> and professional members of the armed forces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He kind of um, conflated the gun debate in the US yeah. with... Uh, like, it was all in the same chapter and it was all kind yeah, of under yeah, violence yeah. in masculinity, but mm. doesn't really... Yeah. So have a nuanced yeah. View on it. So what the way he discussed it was that in America there is a large amount of militarization that's happening with civilians. Mm-hmm, where, mm-hmm. but m- militarization isn't handing someone an assault rifle. Mm-hmm. That what goes into creating a soldier is very different. There's a a lot of it is disciplined professionalism, um, and they're the areas that the armed forces gives you, which it doesn't talk about, mm-hmm. and it doesn't talk about the positive aspect that that can have on somebody's life. Mm-hmm. And I can understand where the confusion comes because some of the things that are considered important for the armed forces. So in the armed forces, there is a focus on being able to control your emotions. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure, as you can imagine, it is quite helpful in some of these situations you find in. And equally, you can see a parallel with that in the idea of masculinity. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that the armed forces then says no one can ever have any emotions ever. Mm. Is he framing it in a way that it's like they just tell you to repress it and that's it? Whereas actually, it's I may like be reading practical... into it more than more than what he says, but that that was the kind of feel that I got. It was very much like there's this hyper masculine culture, um, so it's completely alienates people who aren't men. Yeah, basically. so uh, like I have minimal experience mm. with um, kind of like the real armed forces. Like I used yeah. to do school stuff. Um, but everybody I know who has um, uh, served in some way, shape or form has talked about the positivity of kind of like um, camaraderie yeah. and uh, like structure that it has given them and mm. a sense of responsibility and all of those kinds of things. And that's not to say that there aren't bad things yeah. that, um, oh, yeah. are, uh, that end up happening are. when you have a very male focused culture yeah. um, around like the armed forces um but he seems to be like and therefore and this is kind of like an indicative mm. of all of the violence that men do yeah. and i'm like mm, yeah, yeah. it's kind it's... of like his he reckons that again it's him just having uh, like jumped to this mm. conclusion without having actually considered an awful lot of evidence yeah and i, I mean what my experience of the armed forces that's probably the best way to mm-hmm. yeah so i can only say some of the conversations that i've had with my friends, other people that I worked with in the armed forces, I had some of the most like frank, open conversations about emotions and all that mm-hmm, kind of stuff mm-hmm. that comes because you live so close together and those bonds are so close that yeah. there is that discussion mm-hmm. and it does happen. Whereas I feel in that book, it's um, it does frame the military in quite a bad light and mm-hmm. ignores mm-hmm. some of the really positive elements there are to that that uh, that environment in the army. For me as well, like, um, uh, as the token gay. Um, uh, So he has a whole chapter where he talks about how masculinity um, uh, affects LGBT people and uh, women. But it seems actually... I I found it quite frustrating because it is so... There are, like, moments of actually really good uh, quotes from the people that he's interviewed Mm. um, talking about how... Uh, there is this um, uh, non-binary person who we interviewed and they were talking about how um, uh, they were asked to be more professional in like a, a, a work setting and professional meant adhering to a, a specific gender um, and adhering to the gender binary where this person is like exists somewhere in between and I think that that was a really interesting that. conversation to have mm. um, but then the rest of that chapter seems to be um, uh, straight men being called gay at school makes them violent. 
And I'm like, I found that very frustrating because I see an awful lot of negative masculinity in gay culture where um, there is very much a hierarchy, especially in um, uh, certain anonymous dating apps, um, uh, where there is this mantra of um, mask for mask, like masculine presenting men um, uh, will only be attracted to other masculine presenting men and people who are passive in their sexual preferences and people who are effeminate in any way are seen as lesser and um, uh, as kind of like a blemish on the on the gay kind of like movement because they're stopping us from being able to be accepted by wider like cis normative um, heteronormative culture and he hasn't acknowledged that gay people um, also have, like, gay um, cis men, especially, have this role that they feel like they need to play often to a further extent than their straight counterparts. Mm. And he keeps on, again, coming to these conclusions that are, I think, just wrong, That where he says stuff like, um, uh, oh, gay men probably don't ha- feel like they have to be as masculine as uh, their straight counterparts. And I'm like... Well, talk to one, and then maybe you'll know that this isn't true. And uh, like, it's just like another example of him having a section where he's come to this conclusion. Uh, it was so frustrating because mm-hmm. I think that it, it, he had re- he has really good like um, uh, title headings for all of his chapters. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I cannot wait to talk about um, uh, like toxic masculinity in queer culture. That's a really interesting topic, and then he just pisses the whole thing up the wall. <laughs> Well, anyway, it, yeah. Was there I, anything that you hated, Craig? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or maybe you I want mean, to be more positive. Yeah, you're allowed. To, you're 100 allowed to be. Yeah. I don't know. I think I went in to reading the book with more of a like, okay, what can I learn from this kind mm, of thing? Yeah, um, yeah. And so I definitely did was, go in with that. I, I, I tried. Yeah. I tried. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I did um, enjoy reading it, and um, I enjoyed a lot. Of, well, I didn't enjoy, but I found a lot of what he was saying really interesting. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to think of th- things. I, I can't think of anything that like really like pissed me off. There, the things that I found like particularly interesting. Um, there's a bit in the middle going back a little bit to the stuff that you're talking about, like mm. uh, mm-hmm. um, the military and what have you, where he was talking. He kind of I thought it was a bit of a, like a broad sweeping statement, but he kind of attributed. Um, like uh, emotional repression down to like the first two world wars. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, actually, well, no. I've got something to say on that. Actually, really, <laughs> that's actually one of his conclusions that I think is the most insightful, and that's mm-hmm. one of his main. I think so, and I think that that's one of the things that you get out of his Vice article from a couple mm. of years ago. Yeah. That was one of the things that it's like, oh yeah, like our dads were raised by fathers who came back from the war and were not supported with their mental health true and I think that that, that for me anyway resonated big time I do that but ultimately I think the problem with masculinity goes back far further than that mm. I think there was already before then that thing with the stiff upper lip in England mm-hmm, mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. already massively embedded in the I mean, culture it's even, it's even a poster right keep calm carry on exactly but yeah. even before the, even before the wars that was a massive part of British culture mm-hmm. and that really was all through the development of the British Empire. Mm -hmm. That was the attitude that was taken, and there was a very clear idea of the British gentleman Mm -hmm. all through the creation of the empire. So it wasn't something that came out of the First and Second World Wars. And you can trace it back further. You can actually look at, I think, the idea of what a man should be from sort of a religious standpoint even before that. Mm. You can look back to how knights used to act. Mm -hmm. And their code is pretty much... Toxic masculinity as taught mm-hmm. by the military. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really old creed. And I think... What do you count of to- as toxic masculinity in that particular oh, well, sense? Yeah, maybe, maybe the wrong sense. But I, that I think that he, he uses of... it as well. I think he uses, and I think in general, we use the phrase toxic masculinity yeah. to just mean masculinity. Which is what I'm doing right now. Because yeah. I'm using it in the, in the context of how he's talking about it in the book. So I'm talking about things like the emotional suppression yeah, side of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Um, Obviously, looking at, like, chivalry as an old thing, uh-huh. but that's uh, an interesting one. But uh, but I think that sort of stoic emotional um, emotional uh, suppression is the, is the key um, point of it. Mm-hmm. Which is something I know I'm guilty of myself, but I'm sure we'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> do you think... I kind of wanted to talk about this later, but I'm happy to do it now, if you guys are. Um, yeah. Do you think... <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys do you guys think that there's anything 
because he is so... I almost feel like he's, he's virtue signaling throughout this whole book, but doesn't really understand the concept that he's talking about. So he just says, also, uh, feminism and you should do feminism because it's good for ladies and that's a nice thing to do, isn't it? Okay, bye. Feminism and, is good. Yeah, and it's... Tick. And it's so surface level and I feel lacks understanding. Mm. Um and I think he does the same thing when talking about masculinity. Mm. I think when he says mm. toxic masculinity, he means all male traits. Oh, they, that's sometimes mm. how I interpret it. In the I book. don't know. I think... Is there anything? Is there anything that we can have that we can get from masculinity that is positive? Is there such oh. a thing as positive masculinity? I think it depends how heavily you apply it, doesn't it? I think it's the same as anything. It's the the extremes that then do the damage. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you would agree with that. So there's like that element of. I mean, I I actually do believe there is an element of uh, having a a good amount of emotional control can be beneficial. Maybe that Mm. comes from my own forces Uh background. Um, But, you know, I think those things can be positive. I think the same thing, but that's because I really like mindfulness. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I'm an emotional wreck every day. (laughs) (laughs) It's like crying puppy walking past. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do think there is is definitely a positive element to it. Um, But... Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, it's, it is the degree that you apply it for me. Mm, mm. I, th- I found it really interesting what he was saying about like um, feminism and how masculinity and reteaching guys, well, not reteaching, but teaching guys like different things to do is a way of accessing that. Mm-hmm. I think it, there's, a, there's a bit where he's talking about feminism and a lot, lot of guys are like, ugh, this mm. kind of word that, that guys kind of, you know, I, I went out with one of my mates the other day and I was like, so what do you know about feminism kind of thing? It's like, ugh, feminism kind of thing. Yeah. But I think that the way that he says, um, right, guys have got, like, guys listen to other guys, right? So if you can talk to one of your mates mm-hmm. and, you know, it just takes one guy, you plant the seeds, you break the cycle. You mm-hmm. know, if you, if you stop policing your mates. Mm-hmm. If we want, he basically says, if we want change, then yeah. men need to talk to other men more right. about these issues and how they're affected by them, right? And I think that, you know, he hits on a really important thing there because I think that's the key um, to accessing these things that people are talking about. Um, that are important to move forward in our mm-hmm. society. I think the most difficult problem with that, though, is that men do talk less generally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> which is because there's that classic statistic, but I don't know how true it is of like men and women comparatively how much we talk. Yeah, how many words mm-hmm. they yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I, think I, that's I don't like necessarily a, buy that. It feels one. a bit cosmopolitan. It does. <laughs> that's always. I always think, how did you actually measure yeah, that? I've yet like, to see the actual study. That yeah, it's one of those things you always just see quoted in places. But yeah, mm. but I do think there is an element of um, quality of conversation as well. Maybe mm-hmm. I think mm. men's conversations can sometimes be more trivial, perhaps, mm. and not want to touch on. On emotional things so much. I, I look at girls and they seem to have these conversations and they'll cry and, and, and I just... But this, but this is the thing I think about the, my problem with the whole thing of uh, masculinity being negative. We are not going to be able to stop men from being masculine. Yeah. There is a, a huge amount of gender is performative, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of these characteristics are um, either ingrained to us um, from birth because of the way that we're raised, um, uh, or they are specific to um, the hormones that are flowing around our body. Yep. And culturally, if men are less likely to talk to one another, then it actually then perhaps telling men to go against the way that they've been raised and their nature isn't necessarily the best way of fixing this toxic, toxic, this toxic masculinity. Perhaps mm. we need to find a way of getting men to be able to release, ha- like have a release valve for stuff like stress and stuff like um, social pressures and anger and all of those kinds mm. of things. That is good for them, rather than just saying, guys, you need to get in touch with your feminine side. Because loads of guys just aren't comfortable getting in touch with their yeah, feminine side. Yeah, yeah. And I, true. I, I, um, I'm actually kind of, I'm frustrated and shocked that there hasn't kind of been a, an answer to that. Like, mm. I, I don't know anybody who's really suggesting a, a masculine, in quotation marks, way of dealing with toxic toxic masculinity. Everybody seems to be saying that men need to embrace their femininity more. Yeah, And so I think that that yeah. just means that we're going to leave behind those that are most affected by mm. um, uh, like the most harsh points of masculinity in our society. 
What's and the you... basis at the end? He's something. There's a bit you quoted it earlier, didn't you? You're like, there's a bit where he's like, oh, it doesn't mean that uh, football is going to be out of the. Oh, it made me. Oh, it made me so angry. <laughs> <laughs> so he's throughout this whole book. He start. He talks about like. Um, uh, queer stuff and um, feminism and all of that kind of stuff and it feels like he's trying to make it so that men can kind of embrace these less masculine sides of themselves and then the last like third of a page of the actual book he says now it's not time for men to prove that they can do anything a woman can do our dicks won't fall off football won't cease to exist and no one's going to force you to waltz, waltz around in a frilly dress and high heels but nor will women judge you, and that's what you if that's what you want to do. And I'm like, you've just undone everything that you've been talking about in this book. I feel like he wrote that first and then kind of went on a journey from the beginning of the book Back to like old. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah, it does seem a bit funny because he does actually earlier on in that book say how making a making like actually he's talking about it in the context of feminists mm-hmm. who then go out and make a joke about, you know, well, you, it's because you've got a small dick, which is, you oh, know, yeah. mm-hmm. and how actually that can be unhelpful in the long term. And then he then goes and does it at the end of the book, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's not the size of the dick, everybody. It's um, what you do with it. The motion of the ocean. It's not the size of the boat. It's the motion of the ocean. Um, do you think that this... I kind of asked this before, but I'd like us to drill down a little bit on it. Do you think that this is actually going to... Is a book that people who need to read it are going to read and finish. No. Um, uh, be- I'm really interested in the subject matter and I found it very difficult. I probably wouldn't have finished it mm. had um, we not been doing this. What was it that made it difficult? He's, it's basically, we've touched on it already, but he, he just sort of like dips into a subject and then dips out again and is like, what about this? What's over here? Hmm, uh-huh. Let's explore this. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's uh, whilst he's, you know, trying to be fun and funny, it sort of complicates... The argument. I think it needs to be clear and it needs to be simple. But then he isn't consistently simple. funny. I find that a real problem. With Some of the jokes do, do fall a bit flat. He, I didn't find he, funny at all. He, <laughs> like, I understand you can't make jokes about kind of like violence and rape and those kinds of things. I understand that. But even when he is um, uh, talking about lighter topics to do with masculinity, it's like, here are some really serious opinions about this topic. Isn't that right, lads? <laughs> and that's kind of like, that's how the whole thing reads. It's like then there's a punchline yeah. of lol. Oh, lo, lo. mm, mm. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, his his writing style really, really it's unhelpful. Yeah, I, I mean the problem with these kind of books, in a way, not and it's not just it, but I feel like books that quite often books written around subjects like like masculinity, for example, mm. will be read by people who've already yeah. Kind of got some ideas about it, and You're not probably in a good position. The people who need to mm-hmm. read that, and I can think of people that I know from yeah. all yeah. walks of my life, and I go, if I handed that to them, they'd just be like, "Fuck off!" Mm. It's not going to happen. I feel like it's it's too shallow and not um, uh, kind of like well researched enough to be a significant kind of like queer, not not necessarily queer, sorry, but like a a, a gender studies. Yeah. A, a study on gender. Yeah. Um, it's not an academic book, and he doesn't want it to be an academic mm-hmm. book, and I think that's fine. Um, but then he starts using language like men's rights activist and barely explains what that actually means and so what the consequences so of that is. There's an assumption in there already that... And also, you that, you, that, and also that you understand what feminism is and you don't yeah. need it to be um, explained to you. Um, uh, and you understand what toxic masculinity is and how that is relevant to you and all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And as, every time he introduces one of those concepts without making it accessible to the people who really need to hear it. And uh, frankly, uh, that's the reason that he was probably commissioned to write this book is because that Vice article was a fantastic way um, of getting people to talk about mental health in men um, because it didn't virtue signal. Um, it was funny, uh, it had dark humour um, and it talked about something that nobody was talking about. Um, whereas it feels like half of the time he's almost apologising for talking about masculinity and kind of um, uh, says, oh, obviously women have it worse, blah, blah, blah. blah. It's like, yes, but you're going to lose people who needs to hear this yeah. um, uh, along mm. the way if you start explaining it like that. 
Mm. Um, uh, and I feel like people aren't going to get past like the first couple of chapters if they actually are from the demographic that need to mm. need mm. to listen to him. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's very true. Um, also, also, there the is shit, so who's going to pick that up? The <laughs> cover, the cover is kind of like a sick green. Um, but also, like all the way through, again on his writing style, he it feels like you know when you get like an an essay deadline and you've got to write two thousand five hundred words on the history of vases in Qing Dynasty China, <laughs> and you're like, I've got this. This is great. You've written about a thousand words, and then you suddenly realise you've run out of things to say. And then you're just like, maybe I'll just repeat what I said earlier in a different mm. way. And then maybe I'll kind of just, I'll, I'll use a longer sentence structure. You know what will make this really good? A quote from somebody else that's three pages long. Loving Gen- and, and there feel it feels so much like he's chasing a word count and doesn't actually care what he's writing about. Mm. And especially... Towards the end of the book, there is there's like one chapter where I think about a third of the pages are quotes from other people's work. Now it's all very well quoting from other people, um, but you're basically lifting and pasting and plagiarizing other people's work, even mm. though you're like citing them. Um, uh, like it, it 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 felt very unprofessional to me. Mm. <laughs> there's um, an, another book on masculinity that I read is uh, The Descent of Man by Grayson Perry. And mm. about a third of this size, he hits on all the same things, but he just gets to the point, it's like, all right, here's the fucking issues, here's how we deal with it, off you go, like, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I think, yeah, I don't know, I, I think that he just doesn't um, waffle, like, in this book. Um, what are kind of, like, positive key takeaways that we have for this but like, was there anything new that you learned or you, that you thought about that you hadn't necessarily thought about before? I found the bit at the beginning very um, interesting where he's talking about, because like the argument about like, oh, masculinity is this natural thing. It's always going to be the way things are and stuff. And he sort of, in in quite, a, again, quite a general way, sort of debunks that a bit. It's like, really? What earth? When, when were we hunter-gatherers, hunter Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market thousands of years ago that's See, really relevant now yeah, is it like yeah, I, yeah. I, I found that quite interesting and it's whilst it's not academic or anything like that it's always something that I've been like well yeah what is the answer to that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See, my point on that one always is I, I I kind of liked where he was going with that but I didn't necessarily like how he made the point because mm. in there's a I think in that bit of the book he really does steer away he goes genetics should just be ignored almost entirely right mm-hmm. whereas my way of always thinking about that problem of you know, how does, what our genetics do, is accept that perhaps we are this way genetically. Mm -hmm. But the great thing about being a human is you are not beholden to your genetics Mm -hmm. as we have this 
consciousness. I think that that does get shut down, and uh, like the whole biological argument, yeah, does yeah, get yeah, shut yeah. down an awful lot because it's used in such a, for want of a better word, toxic way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, who, People who say that um, women are predisposed to be in the kitchen and look after children because of yeah, their yeah, biology and nonsense. stuff like that. Um, uh, but there is, there is some true to, I think, our predispositions to be certain ways because yeah. of um, uh, the hormones that are pumping around our body. Exactly. And those can change um, uh, and like as we get older and as we grow or even um, uh, through um, uh, a hormone replacement therapy. Um, but it's, yeah, there's kind of like that... Um, uh, uh, in general, there's a lack of nuance about the way that we talk about that biological yeah, yeah. determinism and the performative side of like gender. Yeah. And for and for me, it very much is that you you can be your own person. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to be beholden to whatever it is that you were assigned? And actually, mm-hmm. to his credit, I think that's yeah. that's part of his message mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I just I think it's such a he tries to get somebody from um lad down the pub. To social justice warrior, um, uh, in yeah. two hundred pages. Yeah, that's true. And I don't think that that's possible. No. And perhaps I don't think he really had a clear idea of who his audience was for this, um, and just wanted a pat on the back by the people who did end up reading it, who are already converted and um, mm. uh, have the ideals that he um, talks about in this book. Yeah, yeah. And in many ways, that is actually a, is a real shame. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's kind of it could have been more. Mm-hmm. I mean, the question is then, even if it had been more targeted at the people who really need to read it, how would you get them to read it? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a tricky one. Yeah, sick. But yeah, positives for it. I, it did it did make me think about it. Um, uh-huh. I think it's really good at that. He's good yeah. at identifying. Um, uh, the problems with masculinity in the modern age. Yeah. But then waffles about each of them and doesn't and dances around the subject without actually giving us any conclusions. Mm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Although, to be fair, how easy is it to give conclusions to these? Because uh, it's, it's a very messy topic. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's tricky. Some good shit about gender in there, though. <laughs> it's like, gender, sign of birth. Like uh, roles and conditioning and stuff like that. That's I think, some good stuff. So at the very beginning, yeah, he kind of sets out his stool and explains gender expression and yep. um, uh, uh, the difference between sexual preference and um, uh, uh, not sexual preference, but like sexuality and gender and all of those kinds of things. And um, I think that that is actually the best bit of the book, but it is. Right at the beginning, <laughs> it's like the first. It's all down here from, yeah, down here from here. <laughs> it, I, I, it really is. Um, uh, it's like the first twenty or so pages. Um, uh, are about that. Um, uh, and yeah, I'm I'm disappointed that this didn't give us kind of like more. What's Mascul- your your Men. own experience of masculinity? Who's starting? Shall I start? Yeah, go I, on. I mean, I'm just trying to think. What has my experience of masculinity been? Yeah, I felt like I should have prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I I don't feel like I'm that traditionally masculine as mm-hmm. a dude. I, it's weird. I definitely felt the pressures and stuff at school and people ridiculing you for acting in a certain way. But for some reason, I don't know, I've just been like, eh, whatever. I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether it was because... Of uh, growing up with like my mum and my sister really close to me, and mm-hmm. close to my dad, or any, anything like that. But yeah, for me, it's it's definitely something that is there at every corner, and everyone tries. Even now, like you know, I go to work with um, nail varnish on or whatever, and the guys like, "What are you doing that for?" Mm-hmm. Like this, <laughs> this whole like, and I'm like, "Do you not think it looks great?" And it's all I love that people get frustrated by little things like that, and it's really. Um, what is it that makes you like their reaction to that? Do you feel like you're pushing the envelope a little bit, perhaps? No, no, I don't think I'm. I'm like pushing the envelope. I just like, I don't know. I, I guess I like that people are like, oh, that's a thing that a guy is doing. I wonder why he's doing that. Uh-huh. And, um, I don't know. I don't really know what my answer to that is. It just gives me a little thrill, and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, this guy doesn't like it. Great. Maybe I'm just like I'm just such a non-conformist and so MD. And I'll ask this to both of you guys: Have you ever felt restricted by? Um, your uh, by masculinity or your feel to 
you're uh, have you ever felt like you needed to like ham up the uh man lad oh, side yeah. of you yeah it's definitely a, a switch that you turn on when you're around certain people uh-huh. for sure definitely when i go back home speak to my mates from back home I'm like how you doing geezer all right and you've got a Oh. I don't know, that, that, like, they expect that from you. Are you from the, the East End of the 1940s? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in, like, Crawley, and, um, yeah, every, everyone's just a bit like, you know, it's it's like the, the guy thing, and you know that it's all fictitious as well, because, mm. you know, there's certain friends that I've got that, you know, you've spoken about all sorts of deep emotional things like that, but also it's just this front that everyone, you know, for some reason has to put mm-hmm. on. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, and as well in work contexts, um, when you're meeting people that you don't work directly with, um, you know, you've got to, that's what I feel like anyways. I'm yeah. Kind of, I don't feel like I, it's, when you're at like networking events and things like that, I, I feel like I've got to be like, hello, how are you doing? Because I, I, I want to be like, hey girl. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how I would like naturally sort of be with my mates or I would yeah. meet with the person. That was one of the revelations there. actually from um, the book that, like I said it before, but that really kind of made me realise, oh yeah, when I'm being professional, I go like super cis het normative man. How do you do, sir? Hello, good sir. <laughs> good morrow. What does the weather do? And yeah. all of that kind of stuff. It's quite funny, actually. I think when I was younger, uh-huh. I was not... I wasn't particularly masculine at all. Like, I was never... Like, what age? I was never, like, um, like primary school. Yeah, 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 Like, primary school, probably early part of secondary school, mm-hmm. really. Um, Did you rock the emo fringe? Yeah, yeah but, like, things? I, you know, I wasn't interested in sports. Mm-hmm. I never have been. Um, and then when I went to secondary school, I really liked doing, like, drama, and I used to love singing. Um, and I remember one God time, forbid. <laughs> yeah, I remember one time like doing doing drama. I used to absolutely love it, and there was this like really um, aggressive masculine guy that was in like I didn't know why he was in our drama class anyway, but he <laughs> used to balance. bully me horrendously for just liking acting. You know it's what I mean? And, fucking bizarre, isn't it? That it's like and he has an interest. He's like he. <laughs> you must like it. You chose because this was year ten, so he chosen it as a GCSE. Yeah. Like, why are you here then? But he used mm. to bully me all the time for that. Um, and in many ways, I I think that could actually be said to do with sort of when I really because now I'm much more masculine. Mm-hmm. You probably say than um, I was back then. What and, do you th- do? You think that the military had anything to do with that? With the way that you kind of present yourself? Probably. Yeah, it, but yeah. So that was really the start of it. <laughs> Sorry, um, I've planted a seed that you yeah, can bring up in a... therapy years <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah. So and and I think you know, and then I joined the joined the military after finishing college. Yeah. Um, and by that time, I'd already stopped doing all the like drama, singing, acting, focused much more on on more, you know, because they weren't traditional mm-hmm. things um, and, and at, at that point I was already doing the real emotional suppression stuff of the yeah. gun uh, you know I'm very guilty of not talking about feelings not going to the doctor when you're ill that's mm. that is that really? is me in a nutshell yeah I, I do feel that about the doctors sometimes I'm like oh yeah I can't go to the fucking doctor yeah I don't know what it is but I just uh, don't I suppose don't like asking for help mm-hmm. I suppose is really what it comes down to you don't have to answer this but are there any times when that lack of desire to kind of, like, seek out help have, like, had a negative effect on you um, and helped your evil physical or mental health? I had a girlfriend who'd um, uh, cheated on me, mm-hmm. and uh, we went on to break up, but uh, it was for quite a while, and I was... We're actually still together. Good job, Tana. Yeah, but, but, and I, I didn't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. We, we, we'd broken up, and my family didn't know didn't for four friends. or five months... My friend, one like one of my friends knew, but I just didn't speak about it. I was just too embarrassed uh-huh. by by mm. what had gone on, um, and I didn't say anything. And it was really, you know, really uh-huh. difficult. But at that time, I was just like, no, I'll just deal with this myself. Like, I don't mm. want to have to you know, go people. out and and ask for help. Yeah. Which actually, now I look at it and I think, damn, that's so stupid. But mm. I do relate to that though, because whilst mm. I feel like I. Um, you know, you know, like I'll cry at whatever. Mm. You know, if someone said something mean to me, I'll cry about it. You know, wh- whatever. I do also feel that that there's that little voice that's like, "Fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. set the fuck up, mate." Like, you yeah. know. But um, so yeah, I do do definitely feel that. Although 
you know, it's a little voice, but I do resist it. But it's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I suppose coming and then sort of being in the military, though, I think there is a there is an element in it of of suppressing weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, because it is a is a hard and fast environment at times. So there is that element of suppressing weakness, and and you have to be strong and, and resilient. But um, was there also a lot of support around? But there you? is the support yeah. there. Sometimes people want to go for it. Sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the dig the one of the most important things um, is recognizing when the people around you do need help and asking mm. questions. And I think actually, I suppose that actually brings me to quite another point. And the <laughs> be- I think one of the best things we can do as men is actually asking each other good questions mm. maybe that wants you maybe they won't but at least if you're asking questions people are much more likely to give you an answer than come and say I've got this problem mm-hmm. if you yeah. actually ask them honestly I think people will give you answers mm-hmm. they'll be with you, and providing a good platform and just well not yeah. necessarily that but just being like by the way you can talk about this stuff exactly it's that like not having to go up and burden someone with it which mm. is normally what stops me actually is probably not wanting to go to you and say I've got this really, you know, this problem when you haven't mm. asked for that uh, mm-hmm. to be put on you. Um, but if somebody asks you a question, then I suppose it's. And it easier. kind of comes back to what we were saying about women being more likely to talk about their feelings than men because they are so used to talking about that kind of stuff on the regular. Whereas when kind of if you have um, uh, a relationship with another guy, you, the topic of your conversation is very rarely going to be your feelings about something. Yeah. Um, uh, because uh, like it's just not what men are conditioned to talk about mm. and so it's harder to ask for help yeah, or yeah. to ask those questions yeah i suppose it's that question is that i don't think i've ever heard one of my male friends saying me me go this happened to me recently and then go how are you feeling about that mm-hmm. no one has ever asked mm. and I, I don't you know that very rarely happens i think and yeah. i think that is one thing that would be really useful yeah. mm-hmm. oh, me and masculinity tell us come on jazz I've got a weird. So as, as I said, I'm uh, I'm one of the gays, uh, and I one of yeah one of one of those. Um, I have a really complicated um, history with like my gender and my gender expression. So when I was um, a young kid, uh, a certain like I was bullied quite heavily for being uh, very loud, attention seeking. I was thoroughly uninterested in guys. I hung out with girls because mm. of that. I don't think I was. I I don't think I'm trans in fact i'm sure i'm not trans but i used to say that i was a girl in a boy's body because all of my um uh, friends were girls that led to me being bullied so severely that i had to leave my primary school and get transferred to another school um uh, and then kind of became very much of a cluse that had zero gender expression whatsoever until i was about until i was about 13 um uh, uh and then everybody started doing the race to um, lose their virginity. Oh, um, no. uh, like, that was when the starting gun was fired at the mm. age of 13. The race. Yeah, the, the <laughs> race. Um, and you, ha- you had to lose your virginity before 16, mm. because 16 is like the legal age in the That's UK. That's the target, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly. ridiculous. I don't know how. Yeah. Um, and I was actually in... Uh, so I, I, I have always... You always know you're gay. Or at least I did. Um, uh, but... Um, I used to, I'm not sure what I kind of cottoned onto when I was growing up, but I knew that being gay was not something I wanted to do. And so I used to, um, uh, you know that thing where they people wear a rubber band around themselves and when they have a negative thought, they ping themselves so they stop having a negative thought. I did that with like my attraction to guys. So I have a, had a rubber band around my wrist um, uh, and would like try and, it's shock therapy. I would shock mm-hmm. therapy myself into trying to not, fancy guys and I would um, uh, do a whole range of things to try and stop myself from being a gay and one of the ways that I tried to do this um, uh, was by uh, being one of the first guys to lose their virginity in my year I was 15 I just turned 15 years old um, oh, and, uh, oh my god <laughs> yes. um, uh, and uh, realised that sex with the ladies was fine but not for me and so I came out about, um, like, openly to everybody about 17. Uh, but then I was adamant that I wasn't going to be one of those gays. And so I was, I wanted to be the kind of gay guy that um, you could go down the pub with and, um, oh, I wasn't going to be camp. Oh, I hate camp guys. I was very much in that, mm-hmm. um, uh, in that genre of um, uh, 
like a young person struggling with their um, sexuality and gender identity Mm -hmm. uh, and then continued with that very like it was me externalizing my in my internalized homophobia um uh, until um I graduated university and it like negatively affected relationships that I had um uh, I withdrew myself from things that um uh, probably would have been really good for me at the time um uh, because uh, stuff like joining queer societies getting to know more gay people I got to the age of like 23 and I didn't know any other gay people Mm. Uh, because I was one of the cool gays who hung out with straight people. I don't go to gay clubs. Oh, gay clubs are gross. Um, uh, and then I'm not sure what it was, but then eventually um, uh, I kind of came to the realization that I, I, I stopped giving a fuck mm. what people thought about the way that I presented myself. And also I came to the realisation that I'm really lucky with the dad that I have. Um, because, uh, surprise, he's straight. Um, uh, but he is one of the campest and most flamboyant people I know. Mm. Will be, a, a, like, a, is has made it so clear that, like, he loves me. Because his his granddad um, is... And my granddad, his dad, is just incapable of showing any kind of external emotion. Has I don't think ever told my dad that he loves him. And my dad was like, I'm going to be the opposite of that. And so I was always made really clear that um, I was loved. Um, uh, my parents, um, when I was younger, always bought me like My Little Ponies and Barbies, mm-hmm. as well as the action figures and the Power Ranger toys. Um, because they wanted me, they didn't want me to have kind of like the same experience that my dad had when he was growing up. Um, and I stopped giving a fuck and started looking at my dad and seeing how silly and stupid he was with like the way that he would like be camp and dress and all of that kind of stuff. Um, uh, and really embraced a queerer gender identity that I think I express now. Mm. If you had seen me like, uh, there were videos of me dancing around on the internet in a dress and lipstick, you, I would have. Oh, I've seen I, w- them. <laughs> I would, yeah, um, I would have been disgusted by that um, when I was younger. Um, but it's so much fun to fuck around with. Um, uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm as cisgendered as they come. Like I'm a, um, uh, like man with a beard. Um, mm. But I love the idea of like playing with that now, and I feel like I have a lot more agency around the way that people perceive me and mm. the way that I kind of like present myself. Um, but in general, I'm. Like especially being online and being like a queer person online, you get you are on the receiving end of um, toxic masculinity an awful lot in the terms of like Mm. men's rights activists, trolls. um, uh, Especially because I talk about politics and stuff, Mm. you end up with um, lots of people. Like I get called fag every day, Mm. Um, Mm. uh, and that is it's fine for me at the age of twenty eight. But when I was younger, that was terrifying. Yeah. Um, and like it, I, I see this uh, the buzzword toxic masculinity um, uh, like in my day to day life so much and it worries me which is why I was really bringing it back to the book which is why <laughs> I was actually really excited to read this book because I think that is a huge problem because no, we have the, the question and the symptom but we haven't got the cure or the answer yet yeah. um, uh, and we need to figure out what the fucking answer is otherwise we're going to continue electing Donald Trump no. <laughs> that's but, how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, one good thing I do think is I think awareness is getting better. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and, and I think long to fuck. So uh, we, we are planting those seeds. We are so woke. Yes, and I think longer term, the outlook is brighter. I honestly believe it. Maybe yeah. I'm just an optimist, I think so. but I but I do. I think the generation that follows us will grow up more aware to these things than we necessarily were. Yeah, I, I mean if you happen. if you ignore I don't I don't know that won't, I don't think that that's true. Mm. I see the way that like Piers Morgan talks about trans like the mm. the way that trans people especially and whenever there is a story about um boys at school wearing dresses mm. there is such outrage and uproar and confusion mm. and um, transphobia and the fact that it's even a story in mainstream media e- not even on Piers Morgan's Good Morning Britain but on the BBC the way that that stuff is talked about is mm. incredibly dangerous not just yeah. for trans people but also in shaming young people who are perhaps who should be ex- like experimenting with the way that they express their gender at younger ages because then you're frankly you're less fucked up yeah and i worry about what 
the way that we talk about gender now and the pushback that we're getting as certain parts of the community of our society are becoming more kind of like um mm-hmm. relaxed when it comes to gender expression mm. um we're seeing <laughs> the heteronormative cis normative kind of like old guard be like oh no we can't possibly change that because then everyone's going to start marrying vegetables yeah stupid isn't it do you know what i do think is quite interesting though is actually being in the armed forces gives you an interesting perspective because there's a very clear like um sort of generational lines because mm. everyone sort of joins at the same age and moves up their careers at the same rate yeah, so everyone yeah, yeah. at certain levels like a certain age and you can see the difference between the like some of the the you know people who've been in for like 15 years mm-hmm, 20 mm-hmm. years um and their attitudes towards things like um homosexuality transgender people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. compared to the people that joined around the same time as me mm-hmm. and their understanding of it and it's an enormous difference. Mm-hmm. And, and and what the good thing that I think about that is a lot of the people that I meet there are young lads, mm-hmm. you know, who should be reading this book. And their understanding of topics like that broadly is so much better than it was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and we just have to focus on making sure that that continues. Mm-hmm. And the, the generation that follow them are, are a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's... Sometimes it's like it'd be so good to just be able to like here's the magic bullet and solve the problem, mm. but it's just that that creeping progress that that ultimately we will get it. Yeah, as the younger generations grow up, maybe we're all going to be free, and it's going to be beautiful, and there'll be rainbows and flowers. And <laughs> yeah, it'll be a happy utopia that we will live in. Um, so to conclude, mm. uh, we've got to bring it back to the book. We yes. had a lovely conversation though. Um, would you have sex with this book? That's what we've been instructed to ask. Greg. Jazza, I have had sex with this book and it's great. <laughs> uh, can you elaborate that in any way, shape or form? Or... No, no. No, fine. for the shock. shock good. Factor. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, right. It was good. No, it was, it was good. Um, I would maybe consider it. Having sex with this book? Great. Is that a good enough answer? You'd consider having... What would need to happen for you to have sex with it? It would need to be more clear about its intentions. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Excellent. Do you have sex with this book? I would say, as the early stages were good, some mild foreplay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> bit of bit of fondle, yeah. Mm. Bit of my bit of foreplay, mutual but... consent fondling. Yeah, it it really didn't get any further than that. Mm-hmm. So this book, I would definitely swipe right on Tinder for. Um, uh, <laughs> but then I'd I'd say, hey, sup, and they'd start talking, <laughs> and I wouldn't ever meet up with them. That's that where I stand. So no, I would probably. Wouldn't have sex with this book unless they had a really hot torso pick. Fair. I'm Can weak. <laughs> <laughs> Love a nice torso. Yeah. <laughs> oh, who doesn't? Right, very good. Cool. Finished. Finish the podcast. We thanks for listening. Th- yeah, thanks for listening. Also, thanks for editing, future Hannah. Thanks, Thank you, Hannah. Hannah. Thanks, Hannah. Bye. See you later. We'll see you at the pub in about ten minutes. Men. Wow, wasn't that interesting? Oh, we so have no idea what they said. That's yeah, very exciting. I'm... it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> the voice like, saying it's really good. It. <laughs> you can find Jazza and Craig on Twitter and on YouTube. We'll leave their links in the description to this episode. You can't find Dan anywhere. I'm sorry. Maybe Twitch <laughs> if he starts doing Twitch streams again. Thank you for listening. Uh, it is December. We are currently reading Carol. If you want to join in that good times. We wish you a merry lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) Lesbians at Christmas. My favourite carol. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, is that why it's called carol? Because it's like a Christmas carol. Yeah. Oh Oh my god, Hannah. I don't know. (laughs) Why would you think that's a fact? (laughs) Now we know. Thanks for listening. Do follow us on Twitter at Banging Book Club where we tweet gifts about sex. The end. If you are around in December in London, we are doing an event at Travelling Through, which is a bookshop in Waterloo. It's really cool and nice. There are a couple of tickets left. We will link that somewhere on our Twitter, at Maggie Book Club. And yeah. the ticket us. price includes a, a book of the first the first book we're reading, which is The Power. By Naomi Alderman. Alderman. And some cocktails. And some cocktails. Pun-based cocktails. Woo, woo, woo. Lucy will be doing a non-alcoholic one. Yeah. She's a legend. 
Welcome me and Hannah say. will be drunk by the time we get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, we get much there, like our really? first live show. Wow. <laughs> the best um, pitch I can give for that event. All Sounds right. great. Thank you again to our boyfriends and surrogate boyfriends for doing this mini-sode for us. That's cool. Who knows what they said? Can't wait to listen to it. Was it good, guys? Who knows? Oh, no. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.